Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel podcast. Uh, Sword and the Trowel is a ministry of Founders Ministries, which is committed to the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I am Tom Askell. I'm glad you're with us. And I'm Graham Gundon. We've got a few th- exciting things going on uh, these days at Founders Ministries. Uh, first, you may know about the sermons by Founders Ministries, the new podcast. We've just been putting out new podcasts. We've got the one with with Dr. Tom Nettles, mm-hmm. um, the That's doctrinal right. components. I'd encourage you to check that out. But we also have sermons by Founders Ministries as well, which is a recent podcast. And every day a new sermon is being uploaded to that podcast. They're sermons from past Founders Conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are, we've recently been putting up sermons from our recent conference, uh, Militant and Triumphant. And those are also available. They've just been put up on YouTube. If you go on our Facebook, if you go on our website, you can find those as well. Um, also, uh, recently, we have be, been waiving the application fee for the Institute of Public Theology. Right. So if you're interested in coming to IOPT for theological education, uh, if you, especially if you're in ministry or if you are seeking to go into pastoral ministry or something like that, uh, we'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, check out the application that the fee is waived so it doesn't hurt that's right yeah it, it is a pretty rigorous uh, application process for those that want to become uh, regular so it does students. hurt to apply. it does hurt <laughs> but it doesn't hurt financially right now uh, because we're willing to accept all the applications that come in and what we find is people start the application process and the majority don't finish it because you need to do some reading and writing in order to demonstrate your willingness to read and write uh, in this course of study but a lot of people audit as well and that's a completely different uh, approach so that's much easier but man, uh, we got Tom Nettles coming up teaching church history. Uh, we've had uh, Vody Balkum just completed cultural apologetics, and Mark mm-hmm. Coppinger on philosophy. Conrad and Bayway preaching, which mm-hmm. is just, it lights out. And we've got a lot of other exciting things coming up in the. Uh, course of these studies over the next two and a half years as we build out the curriculum and we're excited about what God's doing. So yeah, check out Institute of Public Theology.org. Mm-hmm. Well, this week we have a very exciting guest. It's exciting for me. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Ben Dunson is with us. Um, he is a graduate of Texas A&M, Whoop. Westminster Seminary, <laughs> uh, University of Durham as well. Um, he is the executive editor at American Reformer, which is uh, a journal that I have just been devouring since they released it. And mm. he may look nice and he may look innocent, <laughs> but you only think that because you didn't take two years of Greek with him. He's also uh, my former professor at Reformation Bible College. So well. how many courses did you actually take with Dr. Dunson? I think I probably took eight or nine Eight or nine courses, pretty so, much all my New Testament and all of my um, Greek. So, Ben, did you declare him as a dependent on your IRS uh, tax returns? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to see uh, Graham all grown up now. <laughs> I knew him back in the day when he was just a, a, a lowly college student. A lowly college yeah. student. Well, I'm still Baptist, and I'm sure that's... Uh, Somewhat lowly. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Hey, Ben, thanks for joining us, man. We, we so appreciate uh, what you are doing with the American Reformer. Um, Graham's told me about you for a long time and I've tried to connect with you and I fumbled that ball multiple times so <laughs> delighted to have you here on the sword and trial today and we'd love to just introduce you to the folks that listen to this podcast and introduce some American reformer to them so tell us a little bit you're, and you're coming from Dallas Texas right that's where you live now right outside of Dallas right. McKinney yeah just north of Dallas and you're a native Texan right 
Native Texan. Yeah, <laughs> born born in Texas. Thankfully, because um, I lived Amen. a lot of my child in Oklahoma, but uh, <laughs> I, I I got the birthright. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> well, we call Oklahoma North Texas, uh, so you yeah, that's that's okay. I'm a Native Texan as well, and you you went to Texas A and M. I mean, this is just like the trifecta. Right. I just I can't <laughs> imagine this. Can't contain myself. You were there during the RC Slocum years of uh, mm-hmm. football in the early 2000s, and he was a great coach, and A and M had some real success then in football. But we're delighted you're here. So tell us about how you got from you were teaching at RBC in Orlando. Did you mm-hmm. go from there to Texas to do what you're doing now? So I've moved around quite a bit. Um, you know, I was teaching in Florida for those several years, and then I, I taught in Dallas for a few years um, at um, RTS in Dallas. Okay. And um, I've kind of been teaching all sorts of different places. Um, I'm currently um, visiting professor at Greenville Seminary in okay. South Carolina. Um, so still have my hand in that. Um and um, and I've started this uh, this journal with several other people, um, Nate Fisher, Aaron Wren, um, and we've had uh, Josh Abatoy, who's come on um, for a, a different aspect of American Reformer um, recently. Um, yeah, I've I've had a I've had a strong interest in um, in in politics, in uh, political history, and things like that for a long time. And a variety of circumstances made it possible for me to take part in this um, this endeavor and this journal. And it's been very exciting um, to to get started with this. When did you when did you actually start it? So we launched last summer. I believe it was in August of of last summer, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't feel so bad then because I'm thinking, man, I just found out about this a few months ago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No. No. We're we're just maybe eight or nine months into it, um, but um, it's it's been great. We've had some some good stuff. Mm-hmm. So why 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 did you start it? Um, I felt a need to um, address current events in the church. You know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of sites that are doing good work as far as cultural analysis and things like that. I think w- one of the things that we at least are trying to do that might be slightly different is not just be uh, a place where we write about things, but also to have a component where we're trying to actually influence the direction of different um, entities, whether that be um, Christian colleges or or seminaries, um, po- possibly even helping. You know, we're not the church, so mm-hmm. we're not going to try to take on that role ourselves. But if we can in any way help um, different churches or denominations, um, and, and so actually have a, a a component that is trying to change things rather than just talk about things. Um, and, um, you know, talk is important. Ideas matter. Uh, we, we know that and ideas have consequences. Conservatives like to say that. And it's certainly true. But if you're not thinking really hard about how to actually affect institutional change, then ideas are, are not enough. Having good ideas is just not enough. I think that's maybe one area in which conservative Christians and, and conservatives politically um, have maybe uh, have they've taken something that's true, but they've um, they've maybe distorted it in a way to where they think that if you just have the right ideas, that 
institutions will change necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think we're just we're not seeing that in in our world, yeah. right? Politically, uh, you see that it's those who take control who then guarantee what ideas are even allowed to be expressed. I think you can see that in the church. You can see that in Christian organizations as well, to where um, just having the right ideas won't won't do it. And so that's one thing that that we're we're trying to do a little bit differently is actually have a, an institutional component where we, and this is what Josh Abatoy is particularly doing as our executive director is focusing on that component. So essentially trying to do both, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I just on Sunday night preached a sermon from First John three eighteen where John says, "Let us love." not in word and talk only, but in deed and in truth. And you, you can love in word and talk. And, and I think that that's what you're probably attempting to do there at the American Reformer. But you, you actually have to do things. You have to do things to be able to see change. And I think that's so important. And But with, when it comes to the journal, I've just, like I said, I've been devouring it as much as I can. I think when it comes to uh, political theology and cultural analysis, it's, it's just really good. I mean, you've got great pieces on there from Aaron Wren, um, Bradford mm-hmm. Little Little John, our friend Timon Klein's got quite a few articles on there as well. Um, Andrew Walker has a few good articles on there. Um, so I would just you know, encourage our listeners to go check out American Reformer and just uh, make it one of your regular uh, digests yeah. that you go to and, and you just read. Yeah, great sources, great sources there. So Ben, talk to us a little bit about um, you know what do you see going on? I mean, you live in the PCA world. Uh, we're in the Baptist world more broadly, uh, Southern Baptist a little more narrowly. And um, we've, we've seen a lot of things that have been concerning to us over the last several years and tried to address those. What, what are you seeing going on that has motivated you and caused you to say, man, you know, we need to not just get good ideas out there, but we need to start putting some leather uh, on the ground in uh, response to the need for these good ideas to be propagated. So w- give us your analysis of how you see things shaping up in the evangelical world in America. Yeah, so I, I think like a lot of people, the last the last two years have been really eye-opening. I, that's largely what, what motivated us to get this started uh, was... You know, it's not it's not necessarily the case that it's totally new what's happening in the evangelical world, but the, um, the various various things that happened kind of showed people that there's a lot of problems under the surface. Maybe they just sort of revealed that mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, and um, I, I know you've got you've got this kind of growing divide maybe between those who are trying to argue that that you can have orthodox theology, but you sort of have free reign to talk about race and gender and all of these different things and, and, um, and um, masculinity, men and women, church and different things uh, to where your, your orthodoxy allows you to say, well, I'm an orthodox Christian and yet I'm kind of adopting these elements of um, critical race theory or whatever, uh, but I'm not, I'm not taking everything on. And then you've got the other side that's starting to see more and more that, that looks like you're accepting more of the philosophy of those elements than you're willing to accept. And it seems to be that kind of divide. Um, and it's troubling to a lot of people mm-hmm. because uh, they, they see aspects on race, on, um, 
on men and women's issues in the church, maybe in particular, those seem to be the two big divides. And uh, they see just really unbiblical philosophies that are that are really creeping into the church. And and prominent people who maybe seemed to be sound in the past seem to just be continually going further and further in unhelpful directions um, on those topics. I, I'd say it, it, it does seem to be race and gender and um, you know, men and women's roles in the church. Those seem to be some of the biggest divides um, right now. I mean, politics, certainly, there, there's been this general sense that it doesn't matter what you believe politically, right? If, you, if you're a Christian, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, and, you know, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's just like this neutral area in the world. And a lot of people, myself included, are, are, are coming to the conclusion that at least as things stand now, that's increasingly untenable. We've got a party that um, believes that abortion should be allowed at any stage in uh, the process, a party that will destroy you if you believe that men cannot become women um, and vice versa mm-hmm. and, and all of these things. And, and Christians are saying, well, is it really just this neutral area? You know, is, is there... Is there nothing that we can say? So as long as you believe that Jesus is your savior, then everything else out in the world is just, um, you know, off limits. We can't talk about it. Yeah. And so, I, man, I think that's a good analysis because we're, we're seeing that. I mean, I, I've seen that just in the last couple of days articulated uh, by a man I respect and like. Um, we don't agree on some things theologically, but he's a very careful conservative thinker. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to assess what's going on in the SBC today compared to what was going on in the 80s and 90s with the conservative resurgence. And he said, you know, back then we had people denying the inerrancy of Scripture. We had people denying the virgin birth of Jesus, bodily resurrection. Those were all theological issues. Today, the controversy is over wokeness, critical race theory, politics, Black Lives Matter. He said it's, it's politics. You know, we, we all have the same theology. And he was kind of lamenting the fact that, you know, look what's happened to us. And, uh, you know, I mean, all life's theological, right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, Jesus doesn't quit being Lord when you go into the voters' booth or whenever you have to assess what's going on in the streets of your city. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a wonderful way to assess this. And there does seem to, I don't know, it strikes me as naive, but maybe maybe that's too harsh. What do you, what do you think is operating in the minds of our Christian brothers and sisters who kind of want to rope off politics and cultural engagement from our devotion to Christ. Yeah, I mean, I think there's maybe one sense in which that is admirable in the sense that, I mean, I I don't think that a pastor should get up on Sunday morning and spend his time during his sermon saying, you know, here's why you should vote for Donald Trump and not not, um, uh, Joe Biden, right? And and it's just essentially a political rally, right? Mm The preacher should preach God's word and should be faithfully centered on the word of God. That's that's his task. Now, even having said that, there are a variety of things that, if you're actually preaching God's word today, are going to be so-called political issues. Right? Mm-hmm. You can't talk about um, you can't talk about the sanctity of life 
without it essentially being political, because that's a political issue today. Um, Abortion is a political issue. You can't talk about justice and you can't talk ultimately about race even without it being uh, without seeming political Mm -hmm. in our world. Uh, But the the Bible addresses these things. And so if we're addressing them, it's going to seem political to some. But what I'm seeing is that a lot of people who would say, you know, we hold to the, the central tenets of Orthodox Christian theology, but we're not political. Mm. It's not actually true. No, it can't be. Um, they they are, what they're doing is they're saying, we we are not being political. It's, it's just you guys over here who are being political. <laughs> but they're just as political. Like they're, they're saying the Bible demands that you have this view of race. The Bible demands that you have this view of, um, of men and women. The Bible demands that you have this view of poverty and wealth, Bible, you know, and, and so on. We could go on down the line. And they're saying, we're not being political. We're just being purely biblical. Mm-hmm. And it's you guys over here who are being political. And I think that's one of the most important things to show is like, that's just not true. You're being just as political, if you want to say that. So we just need to be aware of the fact that, okay, the, the, the things that we're addressing, that we see scripture addressing, are in our world inherently political. And if you're going to live in the world, if you're going to, if you're going to deal with how people are governed, you're going to be political. Mm-hmm. And government is an institution of God. It's a, it's a divine institution. It's a good thing. And it's, it's something that Christians need to talk about. But when you sort of pretend that you're the one not being political, then you have, you have divine warrant behind everything you say. So you have to accept this. You have to accept my view of race. You have to accept my view of, um, of immigration. You have to accept my view of, of this and that because it's just the Bible. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that's another wonderful assessment. And this, um, it's like they think they have taken high ground whenever they can make those arguments because they're not the involved in the culture war. That's We're right. All, yeah, we We're all care about the culture war. We all care about politics. They, you know, they're neutral. They're above all. That. Exactly. So when you preach from first Corinthians seven or Ephesians six or uh, Romans 13, they, and you say things that you're, you're trying to be faithful to the text, you get accused of being a Trumpian. There mm-hmm. you go again, you Christian mm-hmm. nationalist, you know, Trump supporter. You just think everybody ought to be a Republican. And it's it's lunacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, are you a Christian nationalist? Yeah, no. I mean, it's an interesting phrase. Um, I I don't remember that phrase being used yeah. prior to probably what was it the, the Jericho march? That's kind of yeah, when, yeah. when it seemed to really um, enter the the national conversation. So. I never would have thought to describe myself that way mm-hmm. um, in the past. Um, I I know a lot of people who who will call themselves Christian nationalists now, but I, I think it's mostly the the kind of you know the kind of mentality that likes to take on the label <laughs> that has been thrown at them. Deplorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a deplorable. Um, my personality is such that I, I I don't like doing that. I don't like taking on that. Um, but at the same time, like even even the worst things that people want to say about people who they call Christian nationalists, um, there was an, there's an interesting article um, Mark David Hall um, wrote recently on this, and um, he's saying like 
at the very worst, the Christian nationalism um, you know thing is is still pretty benign, right? It, it it's it's mostly a kind of um, like strange combination of Pentecostalism mm-hmm. and uh, and patriotism. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of weird, um, but not scary really (laughs) (laughs) about as scary Uh, as cookie monster yeah yeah it's just it's just not that big of a deal um but then there's people that are more more um maybe more uh theologically sound who also want to take that label on now and what they mean by that is we believe that the nation is an important institution and that we should support our nation uh, and that should be, you know, our focus. And we bring a Christian perspective to that. Um, and, and you know, if that's what you mean by that, then I'm fine with that. I, I still kind of, I still resist the label slightly because it seems to be so vague to me. Mm-hmm. And and I just don't like the the vagueness of it because if I say I'm a Christian nationalist, I still think most people won't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I like to be specific. I also think it's possible that the label could make people assume certain things about how the church would be related to the state mm-hmm. that maybe aren't really uh, don't really fit with how America um, has been historically, mm-hmm. and um, and and really maybe don't quite fit with how I would I would see a sort of a Protestant view of engaging politics so long answer but i mean ultimately i i don't care if someone calls me that um i just i don't know that it's really the most descriptive term so i I don't usually use that for myself yeah well i don't either but i i kind of do enjoy tweaking people's noses every once in a while i am i am the kind of personality that likes to take that label on myself (laughs) yeah so i I do have yeah yeah, i'm sitting across from a christian nationalist you know it's fascinating to me ben to uh think back 15 years ago 10 years ago or so uh when tim keller you know was all the rage and engaging the city young wrestling reform movement it said it's p he's your guy pca yeah that's right um and you know, the the idea of, man, we're going to go to the city, just love the city, seek the welfare of the city. You know, you're the God of the city. Everybody's singing that. And you think, okay, but can we not say seek the welfare of the nation and he's the God of the nation? <laughs> no, no, no. You're a nationalist now. You know, so it's, it's just weird. It's weird. Yeah, no, Aaron Renza, he's written on that before and it was really good. Um, it, it is strange that they, and, and you know, like with Ukraine now too, yeah, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, like Ukrainian nationalism is great. <laughs> Defending your borders is, is, uh, is, is vital. Um, loving your nation and, um, and all this, it's like, well, the Ukrainians can do it, but we can't for some yeah. reason. And I think what, what's happening here is it is the hypocrisy and the superficiality of a lot of these guys who seem to be intent on signaling their virtue without mm-hmm a lot of deep thinking behind it is being exposed and it needs to be exposed. I mean, they're not all bad people, but uh, they shouldn't be in leadership. And man, the the leadership aspect of this has done a number on a lot of evangelical institutions. And uh, we've seen it, you know, inside the SBC and beyond. And it's just tragic because they're, they're institutions that are good. They've done a lot of good, but because of the disconnect in this area, uh, they've they've either been sidelined or they they are being co-opted for bad purposes, mm-hmm. and uh, we hate that. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, I, you know, I also want to call attention to your article on American Reformer catechizing the resistance. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's an often overlooked uh, aspect of mm-hmm. uh, political theology. Um, so we actually sent it out to our church members and encouraged our listeners also to go check out uh, catechizing the resistance by Ben Dunson at American Reformer. And just so you know, even last night, uh, Greg Gale and I were sending videos back and forth to each other of our children reciting the catechism. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. So, Ben, give us a take on, um, if you don't mind, uh, just m- most of our listeners are Baptists, not all, and we're grateful for that. But uh, give us a take from a non-Baptist perspective looking in or looking at the Baptist world in America and, and the Southern Baptist Convention more specifically. What do you, what's your perspective of what's happening in the Baptist world in our nation? It's, I mean, it seems to be the same thing I'm seeing in, in the PCA, really. Um, it's these, these key issues that are dividing people. Um, it seems to be race, um, men and women's roles in the church, um, gender, and then maybe start to get into other issues. It's the issues that the people, you know, some people want to say are just purely political, but they, they all have theological underpinnings Mm -hmm. um and i see that i see that in the baptist world it seems to be the same flashpoints um how do we how do we deal with um america's past and um um you know is is america systemically racist and 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 is there any way to to do anything about that um i mean my own kind of simplified view of what i see is it's the same impulse everywhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very subtle, but it's very insidious. It, it's the, it's the desire to be accepted in our culture, to be respected. Um, the, the sense that uh, we have to give ground on these certain issues. Now I know they've never put it that way as in terms of giving ground, but, but we have to, to accept certain things that the world is saying, or we will lose our platform, we'll lose our respectability. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's behind it. That's not how they're going to see it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it seems like race is certainly um, the the kind of the flashpoint. Um, the the abuse scandals, I guess, are also um, a big deal. That's, I mean, abuse issues are, are everywhere, but that seems to be fairly prominent right now from an outsider's perspective mm-hmm. is that's kind of people are really at each other's throats about that. Like, how do you deal with it? You know, there's some who are wanting to portray themselves as, as being on the side of the abused and, and um, paint everyone else as being enablers and, and mm-hmm. so on. Yeah. It's interesting how that issue in and of itself has been leveraged by some for particular agendas. Um, and it seems like it's not, the desire is not necessarily get to the bottom of the issue and root out the issue and, and bring accountability and, and help those who have been abused, but rather how can we use this to further some specific yeah. agenda? Yeah. Again, it, it, it does strike me as again, attributing the best motives to them, a naivete, you know, mm-hmm. they really do want to help, but they don't understand what's underlying this monster that they're feeding in the mm-hmm. way they're trying to help. And now what, what's happening is we're seeing that this, this monster is turning on some of those very people who have been signaling their virtue you know, about, oh, we're all about you know, trying to do the right thing here. But they just haven't done it. They've done it disconnected from biblical thinking. 
mm-hmm. and sound theology. And it's, it's wreaking havoc, and it's not helping true victims. It's not helping true victims. We've yeah. witnessed that multiple times. And uh, from my perspective, it just goes back to the doctor of the church. If, if churches are doing what we're supposed to do, these types of things, you can't keep them from happening. We live in a fallen world, but you, you will be guided by the Word of God to respond appropriately to help, you know, to, to, to enlist the proper authorities that God's given us in his world, legal authorities, uh, others as well, that, that can come in and uh, take the responsibilities God's entrusted to them while the church wields the sword of the Spirit in appropriate ways to deal with those who would mistreat uh, fellow image bearers. And we just haven't done that. We've lost that, and I think that has just bred all kinds of bad fruit. Yeah, and I think when you talk about the, for instance, the race issue, um, as an example, um, I think particularly in the Southern Baptist Convention, if I'm going to give um, you know, the best motives, uh, people are concerned about our evangelistic efforts. You know, we want to be the type of people that other people look to and say, "Hey, I like that person. I'm going to listen to what they have to say." And so we, and then a lot of people think, well they're not going to like us if we don't kind of parrot what the culture's saying on race issues. You know, if we don't buy into BLM type madness. And so if we can at least kind of take enough of that BLM message on and, you know, kind of get rid of the bad stuff, but take enough of that BLM message on, well, then we'll be able to, to preach the gospel to these communities. Um, and again, it's just so naive because how much of that little, little bit of the message of BLM can you take on without it perverting your message? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And isn't it, I mean, it's, it's um, ultimately driven by um, just not believing in the power of the gospel. Amen. Um, because it, it's like somehow we've got to, we've got to do our little thing to make it more persuasive um, or else people won't believe or, or they'll, they'll be turned away. But mm-hmm. that's just, that's not believing in the, the strength and power of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, Ben, thank you for uh, being with us today, man. It's been a great conversation and we're delighted with what you're doing. We want to encourage you and those with you at American Reformer any way we can. Uh, we see you guys as partners in uh, trying to maintain the integrity of the gospel in the view of God's people and the world and to proclaim that gospel in all of its fullness and power, uh, to not be ashamed of the scripture, anything that it says, and to seek to do what Christ has called us to do in representing his throne rights over every dimension of life. So uh, press on, man, and and, uh, we're grateful for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate your guys' work too. Thank you for joining us today on The Sword and the Trowel. We look forward to you coming to be with us again next week.